Uh, Father, we desire your insight, your wisdom, your knowledge. And we give you thanks first for delivering to us your word in written form that we can take it in, that we can study it, we can chew on it, mull on the words that are there. We ask that it would this morning have its effect or have your desired effect on us as we go through it. Help us to be cognizant of how you got this to us, how so many people have suffered and died in order for us to have this word. And we understand the world is against this. Satan is against it. But help us to stand firm in our faith. Help us to be those faithful disciples. And Father, when it's difficult, I pray that you would remind us of the very words we're looking at today. Thank you for the opportunity to go through them, Lord, and bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so far we went through the message, the Sermon on the Mount, the ten miracles that are recorded here in chapters 8 and 9. Jesus has the power over the natural, supernatural nature and over sin, and it's for the purpose of having irrefutable evidence that Jesus is the Christ. And we'll see that Jesus had the power over the sea and the wind and over Satan and his minions who possessed the swine do you guys remember how many pigs got possessed by legion do you remember the number it's two thousand two that's a lot of bacon and and all those pigs were they were possessed by the demons that came out of these two men that are listed here and so Jesus, in chapter 9, it'll go on and talk about him having the power over sin. So we're going to pick it up in verse 23. This is where Jesus has the power over the sea and nature. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Uh, last week, I think I mentioned that the Dead Sea was over 600 feet. It's not the Dead Sea. It's the Sea of Galilee that's over 600 feet below sea level. The Dead Sea is 1,400 feet below sea level. And when you get down there, it is, it's remarkable the way that it looks and how it's flat and how it's salty. And, but the Sea of Galilee is just teeming with life. And it's a beautiful area. It's like a resort area. They have the the city of Tiberias, which is there, and it's a resort city, and you can go out on the patio there and just look into the water and see some of the boats that are out there on the Sea of Galilee. But the type of boat that these individuals, these disciples, and Jesus would have been in is a boat that they actually found one. It was unearthed during or underwater. During a drought, it was exposed. And they found it. And it's from the first century. They say it was probably A.D. 50 to 100 when this thing sank. Which means this boat could have been around when Jesus was there. And this is the type of fishing boat that they had. And it was 27 and a half feet long. Or 27 feet long. And it was 7 foot wide. Now this room is 40 by 40. 
So if you shrink it down halfway, if you're going from side to side, shrink it down halfway and you give it another seven feet, that's how big the boat was. And there were 12 disciples and Jesus in there. There might have been another person or two, we don't know, but they were in there. And it says that the storm came up and it, the storm, the way that the storm is described, the word in the Greek is seismos, from seismic, from earthquake. The waves were so big that it was like an earthquake. Hey, have you seen those pictures of the big ships that go into the ocean with 20 or 25 foot seas and they hit those waves that are coming at them full on? And this is a little boat, 27 feet by about seven and a half feet across. Now, I, I know people that have boats that size. Uh, there was one time we were in the Mission Bay Channel and we're heading out and we hadn't checked the report. And as we're looking at the end of the channel, the waves are breaking over the ends of the rocks. And we're starting to do this. We're going up and down. And we're thinking, we're going scuba diving? I don't know if we're going to do that. And we got out there, and I, I said, let's turn this thing around. Let's go back in. And we were riding the crest of this wave, you know, coming in with this boat, coming back to the dock. And we weren't going to go out there at all. And that wasn't even a 10-foot swell. 10-foot swells have been recorded back in 1992 on the Sea of Galilee. It was probably bigger than that. A 10-foot swell. Now, if you're a surfer or if you've been surfing, they measure the height of the wave by the backside. And so the backside of a wave when you're surfing, if that's 10-foot, Guess how big it is in front? About double. And so you see this thing coming at you, and you're going, that is one big wave. And you're in this little dinghy, this thing that's out there. And the waves on the Sea of Galilee or out in the ocean, they don't come at you from just one way. They come at several different directions usually, and so you're tossed around, and that's where you get the seasickness from. And, and these guys are just trying to maintain. They're probably bailing the boat out of the water, you know, the water inside the boat. They're bailing it out, and they're having the roughest time. And where's Jesus? He's snoozing. Uh, now, there's been one time where I've been on a fishing boat. 90 miles south, we went tuna fishing. And I was kind of worried, well, maybe I'll, I'll get sick or, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. This is a, a 24-hour boat. And I went down in the base of that hall and where they had all the bunks. And I laid there, and it was just like being rocked to sleep. Mommy, rock me. You know, I was just going back and forth. It was, it was kind of nice just going along. And Jesus is exhausted. Now, that speaks of his humanity. He was a man. He got tired. He was ministering all the time. But then they run to him and say, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. They probably grab him by the shoulders as the waves are coming in. And Jesus wipes the water off his face. <laughs> what? Oh, you guys have little faith. Brought him out of the sleep. I don't know if he stood up in the boat or what. And he rebuked the wind and the waves. And guess what happened? Instantly, the thing just settled down. Now, if you were on a boat on the high seas or in the lake where there's big waves and somebody stood up and said, be on, and it just got calm, what would you think? I, I, my jaw would drop open like, what kind of guy is this? Now, do you think that that was meant for the disciples? They're the only ones that saw it. 
Yes, it was, because they were going to need to have their faith built. Now, to experience something like that, are you willing to sign up for high seas and a little boat? Now, I'm speaking metaphorically. Are you willing to have your faith built in such a way where you say, Lord, I want to be a man or a woman of faith, and whatever you've got to put me through to get me there, I'm in. They thought they were going to die. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to just say, you know, I place myself in your loving hands, just as we said, Jesus does not mean us harm, but he does want us to train for the discipleship that is ahead of us. And to the amount in which we sacrifice ourselves to him is the amount in which he will use us. If we say, well, my commitment is about 10%. Well, he'll use you 10%. If you say, I'm all in, (laughs) he goes... All right, let's get started. You know, and, and you'll have the trials that'll come along and it won't be anything that will necessarily destroy you because after all, you know, there are many Christians who have been persecuted and lost their lives. But it just depends on your walk. That's in proportion to how much he will use you, how much you're willing to surrender. And so they got into this little boat. Now, when they get in this little boat on the Sea of Galilee, you can see the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And towards the north, where Jesus would have had the uh, Sermon on the Mount, where the Sermon on the Mount was given, it was towards the north, towards Capernaum up there, these hills come down, and to the north you can see Mount Hermon, and Mount Hermon they go skiing on it, but that's up in the uh, northern areas of, uh, I believe, Lebanon up there. And so the wind comes rushing down this large slope that is there, and that wind can pick up speed. If there's a low pressure, that wind comes rushing in like that. And they were, they were fishermen, and so they're getting out there, no big deal, some waves, you know, and they get out there and they start fishing or whatever they do. So they're familiar with the water. But they see probably these black clouds developing up there. Now we know that if Jesus rebuked the elements, it's probably satanically inspired. Satan was behind that. And we know that Satan has the power to do that. He has the power to inflict damage, physical damage on individuals. Just look at the book of Job. You know, uh, the sons of God were presenting themselves to uh, God up in heaven. Those were the angels, and Satan was one of them. And he says, where are you going? And you know the story about Job. And so it's probably demonically inspired, and he quells the storm. He, he douses the storm. He puts it down. And so this was for the faith of the disciples. Now, going on with this, this idea where the disciples are in the boat, do you think it's natural to feel fear? It's totally natural. Uh, for instance, uh, who in here has a fear of heights? Anyone? Okay. Uh, I, I have been up to the top of Yosemite. We've climbed up where you have to pull cables to actually get to the top. And there's this one rock that is up there. It's called Springboard Rock. And it actually juts out over the top of the cliff, probably 20 feet. When you get off to the side, you look back and you go, that thing is totally over the edge. And I've seen people go out there and hang 10 on that thing where they stick their toes all the way over the edge and they look to the side where the person is with the camera and they take a picture of them. I got on that rock and I'm scraping 
towards the edge to try to hang my knees over because I'm trying to be brave and get a picture. But on the inside, my body is just screaming at me. Get away from the edge. Now get away. It's like, you're going to kill yourself, you nut. What are you doing? And when you look at the rock... It's in all these sections of like a shale. It's not shale, but it's, it's sliced to where at any time one of those could just fall off. You know, what? last year, El Capitan, they had that huge chunk just fall off. These rocks just fall down, you know. So you get up there. Natural fear is healthy for us. It preserves our life, right? If we're doing something stupid, it's really important to do that, like hanging your feet over the rock, something like that. It it preserves us. But to fear the circumstances around us, if we're just living our lives, Jesus tells us not to fear. We're not to fear the natural occurrences that take place here, whether it would be persecution from others, whether it be a perilous circumstance, whether it's a car accident, whether it's a disaster that takes place, Jesus says, do not fear, but we're supposed to trust in him. And so Jesus is having these guys, he says, oh, you of little faith. If you have faith, it cancels out the fear. One of the biggest fears that all humans have, and this is a universal fear, not everyone possesses it as a believer especially, but it's the fear of death because it's like the unknown. But everybody succumbs to this life. There's only a couple of people who have not experienced death. Now, can you name who those people are? Who's one? Enoch Enoch was one. Who's the other? Elijah. Elijah. Those two guys have not died. Now, some people think, well, they're going to come back in the end times and maybe they'll be the ones that are the two prophets in the book of Revelation. We don't know. It may be Moses and maybe Enoch. We're not sure who that might be. But this idea of these prophets being there and fearing, like Elijah feared for his life. King David feared for his life. Uh, The prophets of old, Jeremiah was fearful of the king of Babylon and what was going to take place. And so this fear is natural, but God says, do not fear. We're supposed to take our eyes off the natural and put it on the supernatural. I I know that um, as people get older, they fear getting on the freeway. Imagine that. You get on the freeway, everybody's just driving everywhere or driving at night, a little bit of fear, and we want to use wisdom, things like that. But when it comes to the circumstances surrounding our lives, the things that can happen to us, we're not to fear. We are indestructible until the Lord says, it's your time, unless we act foolishly. And so we don't have to fear anything. And even if we lose our lives, is that gain for us? It's gain for us. But what are we afraid of? We're afraid of pain, We don't like pain. Who likes pain? If you like pain, there's counseling available. We just, we don't like pain. We don't like the discomfort. We don't like the problems around us. And God even tells us, and you know this verse, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And so if we find ourselves in a situation, the last thing we need to do, if it's a normal everyday life thing and there's trouble comes up from nowhere, we're not to fear. And so this is one of the purposes of the disciples being in the boat with Jesus. And he says, you have little faith. Hey, faith cancels out the fear. Mark Twain said this, courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. Now, fear will come along. 
But we're supposed to master it. We're supposed to say, I will not fear, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, all of those things God told us, we're not to fear. So to fear is natural, but God wants us to dwell in the mindset of the supernatural. Fear is natural, but focus on that supernatural, and that fear will dissipate. Now, going on here, the rejection of faith. Now, the disciples were told they didn't have quite enough faith, but then there were others that just rejected it completely. They didn't want to believe in Jesus. And here in verse 28 is the story. When we arrived at the other side in the regions of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region. Here's two men. Now, in the other accounts, in Mark and Luke, there's only one. But in this account, there's two. It, it doesn't mean that there is a contradiction here. It, it works kind of like this. It comes from three different perspectives or two different perspectives, depending on how you want to look at it. If I had two apples on a table and I said, there are two apples on a table, that's specific. If I said, there's only one apple on the table, that's specific. And that would be a contradiction if there are two apples there. But if I said, there is a apple on the table, it doesn't mean there's not two. You follow that? And so that's what's being described here. There, Matthew gives us a little more information, but he doesn't tell us, it's over in Mark, I believe chapter 2, that the demons were numbered at 2,000. And so all these demons come out. Now, I, I don't know what that would have looked like if the two guys were standing there. Of course, they were violent. You know, they were, they were not to be dealt with at all. They were just to be avoided. How did the demons come out? Was that something visual? Was that something spiritual? Did all of a sudden all the pigs were feeding, they stick up their heads and ears go up and go, and they head down towards the water? I've been over there to this area, the Sea of Galilee, and it, it, it kind of slopes down, then it goes steep into the water right there on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Kim, you're going over there, right? So you'll be able to see that. Uh, she'll be on the eastern side, and, and they'll say, this is the spot right here. And you can kind of tell by the topography of the area that, yeah, that would be the spot, a steep bank coming down here. And, and so that's where they all ran into the water. Now, what's going on with this? The 2,000 pigs, aren't these Jews? Pork and Jews. What? See, something's up here. You can't go to a Burger King in a mall in Israel or Jerusalem and ask for a bacon burger. You're not going to get it. You also cannot get a cheeseburger. 
they don't want to have any dairy product mixed with the meat. Now, they take the Old Testament passage where you're not supposed to cook an animal in its mother's milk. And they say, well, that means cheese on a burger. We can't have that, which is, in my opinion, that's uh, really not what the Scripture is saying. But they have certain practices like that, and they were commanded not to eat pork. And that came through the Levitical law that Moses gave where you said he said that you can eat an animal that has a split hoof and chews the cud. A horse chews the cud, but it doesn't have a split hoof, so the Jews cannot eat horse. But if you have a cow, it has a split hoof, and it chews the cud. If you have a rabbit, it chews the cud, but doesn't have a split hoof, so a rabbit is unclean. A pig has a split hoof, but doesn't chew the cud. And chewing the cud is you have a couple of stomachs, you burp up the grass and that type of thing. And so this was an unclean animal for them to have. I don't know if the Jews would leave every once in a while, the Temple Mount, the leaders, and go over, let's go get a bacon burger, you know, something like that. I don't know what they were doing, but they were clearly marketing this pork for consumption, and Jews controlled the area. They were marketing what was going on, and the demon said, let us go into the pigs. Whose fault is it that the pigs die? Jesus's fault, right? That you did this. Please leave. You know, they didn't want him hanging out there. You've just ruined our economy. Oh, okay. You guys aren't following the law that was given to you. But, you know, okay, I'm out of here. So he left. They rejected having faith in Jesus Christ, even though a huge miracle had taken place. What a marvel. But that's what most of the world does. The world will see a miracle. They'll see somebody's life transformed. And they'll say, that's nice for you. Okay, yeah, just leave your church to yourself. Leave your God to yourself. I just want to do what I want to do. And most of the world will reject Jesus as their Lord and Savior, just for the same reasons that these individuals did. Now, this is, of course, Jesus' power over the supernatural. These are the demons which are there. And... Even though they probably didn't see the demons come out, you know, it's Halloween, that type of thing, and everybody wants demons. And I've, I've seen some of these little mock-ups of how they try to scare somebody going up to house. They're, they're posting pictures of what their house looks like. And there's this one door, and it's in three sections, and it, it looks like three high-def screens on the front door. And behind that is this ghostly demon figure that actually moves. And as you approach the door, the thing goes like this. I mean, they're just trying to scare little kids. Little kids are not going to want to do that. And I'm, I'm glad that the church comes along and says, let's have a harvest celebration instead of all the scary stuff which is out there. But what about this spiritual world of darkness? Now, when I grew up, we had an Ouija board. And don't go buy an Ouija board. But we, we would sit around that thing and we thought it was all fun. And we'd put our hands on the little guide thing and we'd ask it a question. And it would start to move. And we'd turn to each other and say, stop moving it. I'm not moving it. It's moving by itself. You know, and it, it would kind of spell out things. And, you know, we'd do some other things with, quote, unquote, the supernatural just to try to scare the wits out of ourselves. And, and we quickly left that. I, I didn't go back to that too much. I just thought, you know, this is, this is probably not good. And I wasn't a believer but it was just a normal thing that we would be involved in. So is this spiritual realm real? Are there demons out there? Is Satan a real, I'm going to call him a guy, 
well, he's not a guy. He's, he's personified as a male, but he's angelic is what he is. He's not a human, but I'm just going to refer to him in the masculine pronoun. He is every bit as real as you and I. And when we see him, when he gets judged at the end of time, when eternity begins at the great white throne judgment, we're all going to look at him and we're going to say, him? It was him that did all this? You know, I'm thinking he's probably only about this tall. You know, he doesn't have many muscles or anything. I don't know what he looks like, but he is supposed to be the great deceiver. And all the demons that are with him, apparently from this passage, they wish to inhabit an individual or something. They want, they don't like being disembodied. Now, there's a mystery behind that. We don't know what it is, and there's a lot of speculation out there. And if anybody ever speculates, like, well, what about a pre-Adamic race? Just don't even go there. Just say, you know, we don't even know about that stuff. We just know demons are real, and they exist. Now, sitting in this room, as you look around, do you see the infrared spectrum of light? Do you see the ultraviolet spectrum of light? The rods and cones in our eyes do not allow us to see those things. Do you see the microwaves going through us? Do you see the gamma radiation, the x-ray radiation going through here? But if you had the right equipment, you can see some of those effects going through here. But you can't actually see them. That's with us. If we have the right tools, we can detect that there is a spiritual realm. Did God ever say, like the horoscopes and the soothsaying and all that, that it's not real? He didn't say that. He said, don't do it. Don't go to soothsayers. Don't go to the necromancers. Don't go to the people that talk to the spiritual realm. Stay far away from that. Don't get involved. Don't dabble in it. If somebody wants to invite you to that stuff, you should, you know, if you're looking at your horoscope, don't. That stuff is demonically inspired. And and just stay away from it. It doesn't mean anything. And and you might say, well, can I look at a fortune cookie? I I don't care. Look at a fortune cookie if you want to. But it's meaningless as well. But the spiritual realm, the dark spiritual realm is there. Now, if you were given spiritual spectacles, so to speak, and you were able to look around this room, what do you think you might see? (laughs) You know, How many angels would be in here? We only need one, but how many angels would be in here? Some of you need several around you just to protect you because they watch over us. We know that from Scripture. They're here, and they're flying around. There's a book that was written over 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago. It's Piercing the Darkness in This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, and he talks about these angels and these demons coming into the physical realm and manifesting as human beings, and and Scripture tells us that. That the angels were supposed to entertain strangers because unaware we may be, in fact, entertaining an angel. And I've said this before, the only angel in here is my wife. And if, if there are some other angels, you know, sitting around, you'd need those spectacles to see them. You'd see probably fantastic things, probably a flaming sword, one standing over here just blazing away. Amen. You know, he's saying that type of thing. I don't know what's going on, but there are millions, and they're innumerable the angels that are out there, the ones who 
minister to us the ones who will inherit salvation. And so both the good angels and the demons or fallen angels are out there. But just because we can't see them doesn't mean they aren't real. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you um, a little story. We <clears throat> had a Bible study uh, in the beginning years of the church, and there was a woman who used to be a necromancer. And uh, Sandy, you probably remember this story. And, and she would sit down. To be a necromancer, you have to kind of go into a trance. You hold a piece of paper or a pad in front of you, and the hand just starts writing, and things get written when you go into this trance because you're getting in touch with the dark side. And if you think you want to do that, you run for the hills. Run, forest, run. Just get away from that as far as you completely can. Well, she used to do that. Then she became a believer. And it was, she had a great testimony. You know, there was issues that would be there. But one night, her and her husband are sitting in their front room on the hardwood floor that's there. There was this some type of cabinet or dresser on the other side of the room. It decided to move all by itself to the other side of the room. And they both just looked at each other like, we kind of know what this is. And so you hear stories like that and you go, what's going on? There used to be a church of Satan out here. I don't know if it's still here. I actually called them up when the church started. They didn't say they were the church of Satan. They were in the, you know what the yellow pages are? They were in the yellow pages and I had heard about them because this one girl came out and she wanted to talk to me and I talked to her and I talked with uh, Todd Lauderdale who was Calvary Chapel of Mesa, he's a youth pastor over there. We got together and met over at the Burger King. We went to Burger King over here and we sat down and she was telling us about the Church of Satan that is somewhere over there that she was getting out, she was leaving the area. And she just wanted to let us know that she was getting out of this because it just a lot of problems there. And so I called him up and I said, hey, man, because it, it says church in the yellow pages. I said, hey, man, looking for a church. He goes, oh, okay, what kind of church are you looking for? I said, you know, just church. I, I wanted to come by. What's your address? Because they didn't list the address. He goes, well, you know, are, are you looking for like a Christian church? Is that what you're looking for? I said, well, yeah. He goes, maybe you wouldn't want to come to our place. Maybe you'd like to go somewhere else. I said, really? I can't come by? He goes, ah, probably best that you don't. And, and so I got this information. We just started praying. I don't, I don't think that they're here anymore. I don't know if they are or not. But they believed in the dark realm, the spiritual realm. Now, this is all appropriate because it's like Halloween, right? I'm telling you this stuff. This stuff is real. All Hallow's Eve, you know, the demons coming out and the distance between the dark spiritual world and the light. All these stories which are out there. All you need to know is that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And Satan has no power or authority over you or anyone else unless God gives him that authority. And so if this storm came up, if these demons are being cast out and it's the dark spiritual realm and he's been given the authority to do that, him or his demons, we can just walk around without fear. We have faith. I'm going to tell you another story. <laughs> this one was for me. I was dreaming and I was asleep and uh, I had this dream that the enemy was coming to attack me. And of course, all the years I've been a believer, I, I just knew, call out the name of Jesus. That's all. Jesus, 
Come help me. In my dream, I'm getting ready. Jesus, come help me. I was going to cry out to Jesus right at that moment when I did that in the dream. This demon comes up and grabs my throat. And I tried to say something. And I couldn't in the dream. And I instantly woke up. And I go, well, that was weird, you know, waking up from something like that. So that spiritual realm is weird. And there can be demonically inspired dreams and there can be heavenly inspired dreams. All of that is real. We just make sure or we need to make sure that we have our full armor on. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about this talks about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, our loins girt about with the truth, all of those things. You need to be ready for a battle. If we're just lollygagging and walking around as a believer, guess what? We are a, a target. It, it, it's kind of like... Um, Who's that Larson uh, cartoon guy who had two deer standing up and one deer had this big bullseye on his belly and, it, and the one deer says, bummer of a birthmark, man. You know, this, this bullseye that's right there. If we're not prepared, if we don't have the spiritual armor, if we're not carrying around that sword and that's the only offensive weapon we have, if we're not using that, we have no way to battle the enemy because it's the word of God that is powerful and effective. It is not what we think or what we say. And if you have the armor on, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, all those things, you can take the hits, right? Oh, boom, you're just kind of like a video game. You're, you're getting those hits all the time. But how do you think you're going to last? You're not going to last. You're going to be a statistic. That's why God says, study to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth. And you, you give that word, uh, uh, word spoken in a proper season is like apples of gold in settings of silver. You use that word and you put it out there. And it, you know, when you're talking to somebody, you can give them a proverb, you can give them a scripture, you don't have to give them the address, but if you're just giving it to them, I mean, you're, you're putting it out there, you're proclaiming the word of God, and that's how we're supposed to walk around. You know, we're supposed to sing to ourselves and to each other in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, meditating on the word of God day and night. You know, I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. These types of things, we're to hold on to the scriptures. If we're not studying, if we're not engaging in the battle, we are a target. The enemy would like to come along and say, okay, I've put you on the shelf, I've put you to the side. And we are all susceptible to that. We can all fall at any time and the Lord says, okay, yeah, you're going to take your licks. It may be disciplined. You may have to suffer through this thing. But once that happens, get right back up and start moving forward. And the Lord will strengthen you. But the point is, keep going forward. If you're not going forward, if you're just sitting there, you're not engaged in the battle. And the Lord wants us to be engaged. You know, when Jesus, if you look it up, if you uh, don't do it now, but if you took out your phone and looked up, Follow me. As, as we get into the scriptures here, you will see Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't say, although this is true, he doesn't say, believe in me. He'll say, believe in the works, but he'll say, follow me. He wants us to be the disciples that follow him in this life. And so, yeah, I want to wrap this part up. Satan 
wants to kill people. He wants to make sure their lives are miserable so that they will never receive Christ. He wants to neutralize the believers and make them ineffective. He wants to exploit our weaknesses. You guys, maybe you're familiar with the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. It is Uncle Screwtape talking to his nephew or writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood, and how Wormwood could upset the life of this person who is a believer. And of course, at the end, Wormwood is not successful and Uncle Screwtape just kind of rebukes Wormwood. And it's a good story how the spiritual realm might be working. And if you have never read the book, I would invite you to read that book. But there is a spiritual battle which has taken place. The demons are the ones that are submissive to Satan. And he wants to make sure our lives are miserable. You know, he tried to wipe out the Messiah's line uh, so that Jesus couldn't be born. He tried to wipe out the Jews like in World War II and several times throughout history so that there would not be a nation of Israel, there would not be a temple rebuilt, but the Jews would all be destroyed. And by the way, this guy what in Pittsburgh killed 11 Jews. Those are God's people, his chosen people. Now, we are God's people too, but they are the ones that come directly from the lineage of Abraham and God promised to protect them. And he is going to do that. He's going to bring them to fruition in the land of Israel and all Israel will be saved and it's going to be a blessing to them. But this, this idea of the Jews, you know, we need to pray for them. This is a terrible thing. That's why I mentioned it to somebody. I recently was down in Florida and in Florida we went to Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And as we walked into Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, we sat down at a huge sanctuary. There must have been 5,000 people in there. And as we walked out, I noticed right across the foyer was a full SWAT guy in black, and he had the flak jacket on and the M16 right there. And you look at him, and he looks at you, and you go, you know, you kind of walk to the side, and then another one comes walking in. That would be the perfect place for someone who is just off their rocker to come in and take out a bunch of people. You know, it's a terrible world in which we live, but that would be Satan doing that, putting it in the mind of the individual. Now going on here, chapter 1, Jesus had the power over sin. Jesus stepped into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart! Son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Did you notice he didn't say, Be healed? He didn't say that at all. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. It's kind of like fear. They were filled with this fear that was there. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. So we have sin here. We have the healing. We have the onlookers. All of these things are taking place. Now, which is easier to say? That's the first question. Jesus asked them the question, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or be healed. It's easier because of evidence to say your sins are forgiven. It's easier because you don't have to prove it. You know, you say, oh, your sins are forgiven. No problem. We could, I could walk up to any one of you. You could walk up to me and you could say, your sins are forgiven. I thank you very much. That type of thing. But 
if you were missing an arm or you couldn't walk and you said, be healed, then all of a sudden the muscles just form back up like balloons and oh, you got firm, strong arms and limbs and you can move around and you can get up. That's, that would have been wonderful, but Jesus did it for a purpose. His purpose was so that the leaders of the Jews, they would understand that Jesus had the power to forgive sin. That's why he said, your sins are forgiven. And of course, they just went apoplectic, pulling out their hair. You know, oh, this man, he's blaspheming. Unless you're God. And see, he wasn't blaspheming. He had the power to forgive sins and he even says that. That's why I did this so that you would know that I have the power to forgive sins. And remember, he never said, be healed. He said, your sins are forgiven. Now take up your mat and go. And so if, if they were so closed-minded, if their hearts were so hard that they could not see this miracle, their destruction is waiting for them. And that's where we need to reflect. Are we so hard on the things of God? That we just say, you know, that's for somebody else. I'll let them do it or let them have that faith. I'm just going to maintain the status quo. You know, my job as a pastor, it tells me what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to somehow motivate everyone to love and good deeds. People like the love. They don't like the good deeds. Do I focus on the good deeds? No. I focus on Jesus Christ and his forgiveness of sins and how it is given to us freely, although it cost him everything. And so that's wonderful to love each other, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. And that's all good and wonderful. But Jesus says, now follow me. And I think most of us in here do that. Most of us in here, we're following Christ with all of our hearts. And there's no condemnation in that. As a matter of fact, it's rejoice. I've been called to serve the king. This is great. And when I get up there, if I'm faithful to do so, he will say, well done. Now, good and faithful servant. He'll probably get off his throne and he'll give you a big hug. And way to go. And you come on in. And all the angels are going, you know, as you as you get up there in heaven and everybody's, yeah, it's great to have, it's been so long since I've seen you, it's going to be wonderful. But if all we ever do is say, yeah, I'd loved, you know, I felt it here on the inside. I felt love. That's not what Jesus is asking us. He is asking us to follow him where he goes in his footsteps. The same thing he was willing to do the Father we need to be willing to do for him. And that's the message here. And we can do this if we have faith because the fear goes away. I know of one missionary went out to Africa and came back as a defeated missionary. They just said, you know, I, I just, I don't know what I was thinking. I went over there and this was years ago and came back and felt like they just let the Lord down. And all of these things work together for good for us. If you think you can open a door, open it. You know, door number one, door number two, or door number three. I open them all. I I don't wait for one. It's not a this one or that one. It's open every single door which is before you, and you never know how it might turn out. If you say yes to Christ, your life will be blessed, 
and the next life will be blessed. Remember, we are working for the next life. We occupy here until he comes. But that next life is what is important. So Jesus wants us to make sure we are submissive to him and that we, we, we not only submit to him, but we give our lives to him. I'm going to close out with this verse, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. What did he say? Believe in me? He didn't say that. He said, follow me. Now, follow me, it's implied the belief is there. But he says, follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, Matthew is also known as Levi. And remember the people that Jesus is focusing on here? The leper, the outcast, the centurion, the Gentile, the demon-possessed, the ones that are to be avoided. And here you got a tax collector. Don't you just love all IRS employees? If you've ever had a run-in with an IRS employee, I don't envy you, you know, to have that type of thing. And Matthew was one of those. I'm sure that the leaders of the Jews would scowl at him as he would go by. And I'll explain next week exactly what he was doing and why Jesus called him and all of that. But the thing I'm going to leave you with is he took this person who was unworthy in the eyes of the Jews and he said, follow me, which means we all all have the opportunity to follow him. But remember, as I just said, this is predicated on belief. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you have done that, the next step is discipleship. Follow him. If you do, you will be so blessed. Will it be hard? Yes. But you'll be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the examples that you have given us here in Matthew 8 and 9. Of those people that you called that were unworthy in the eyes of the aristocracy, in the eyes of the leaders, but you saw their need and you actually called them and said, follow you. Father, help us to do that. Help us to sacrifice all. Help us to place ourselves in your loving hands and trust and not fear what you have in store for us. And Father, for those who may be at the end of their rope, I pray that you would touch them, that you would console them, that you'd bring comfort and do that through those who are next to them, those that know you. Bring that word of encouragement, that word of comfort. Provide some strength in some direction. For Lord, you loved us. You are Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. May we be used just as Jesus was, Father, in this life to bring the good news, comfort and help to those around us in Jesus' name.